Okay, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be opening up to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. Now, we mentioned last time that Psalm 90, of course, it's been a couple of weeks ago now, but Psalm 90 really transitions us into a different collection of books as far as the Psalms go. Um, 77 through 89, primarily are um, psalms that are concerned with or around the time period of the Babylonian captivity. So you see a lot of laments, you see a lot of um, crises of faith. There's a few other things that are sprinkled in there, but um, very similar in whether it's personal or corporate struggles. Uh, What we find in Psalm 90 and Psalm 91, and I think if you were to just keep looking in this section, what we find is that these psalms take on a little bit of a different tone. So Psalm 90 and Psalm 91 both give um, personal testimonies that really move their way into a corporate encouragement. So Psalm 91 is all about trusting the Lord. And it's a personal testimony of one who is trusting the Lord, who's inviting others to trust the Lord, and he's giving an argument for why and what a blessing it is to be able to trust the Lord. So, you know, it's it's one thing, we've, we've talked about this before, it's one thing for us to say um, that in all circumstances we ought to trust God. It's another thing for us to say Um, I trust God because I can look back over 30 years and tell you how faithful he's been to me. Right? Those are two different things. And so Psalm 91 is more of the latter. Um, And and it's someone who is, we don't know, we can't really say he's come to the end of their life. We don't know that. But it's someone who has experienced and someone who has tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And they're inviting the congregation here, or us, the reader, they're inviting us into the same sort of um, blessing and trusting in the Lord. So this is a psalm. It's split up into three different sections. Um, Verses 1 and 2, the psalmist is is speaking about his refuge or, or my refuge. 3 through 13 is a refuge for God is a refuge for his people. And then 14 through 16 is a promise keeping God. So let's just start in the beginning, 16 verses. We'll read the whole thing and then we'll look at it chunk by chunk. Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shall thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. 
Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. So Psalm 91, you'll recognize, at least in the middle portion of this, you'll recognize this is the psalm that Satan quotes when he comes to Jesus um, in the uh, in the wilderness temptation. Uh, and he quotes verse 11, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. And it's worth noting that because Psalm 91, if we misunderstand this and if we approach this in the wrong way, Psalm 91 will appear to be making promises that you already know good and well aren't going to be kept. Okay, here's what I mean by that. If we come to Psalm 91 and we assume by reading uh, you know, verses seven and eight, a thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh to thee. Only with your eye will you behold and see the reward of the wicked. And, and, and we get this uh, as, as it goes on in that section. And we get this idea that we can just be reckless and careless and that evil is going to hit everybody, but us and calamity is going to hit everybody, but us. Uh, but if we, if we know the Lord, then um, and, and we look to him as our refuge, then we won't get sick. And, you know, Psalm 91 is a big, is a big psalm in the name it and claim it community because it's, they're saying some pretty big things here. Well, you'll notice whenever Satan comes to Jesus and he makes these, he quotes this psalm, um, of course he's speaking about Christ. And, and this psalm is uh, obviously Christ is a, is a, a fulfillment of, of this as far as in, in, Type, or maybe we should say Christ is the anti-type. He's the he's the one in verse fourteen who has set his love upon the Lord, and and so forth and so on. But Christ's life is not one that's characterized by no trials. Matter of fact, he was a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. Um, Christ's life is not one that was characterized by recklessly endangering himself. As a matter of fact, he told Satan. He sh- you should not tempt the Lord. So, you know, this, the, there's, there's the, the passage in here about the, uh, handling the, not handling, but the, the walking over the snakes and the, the, uh, the pestilence and so forth and so on, and you're not going to be hurt. You know, the, the snake handlers take that, you know, and plenty of them have been bitten and plenty of them have died. So I say that just to say, and to remind you, we've said this plenty of other times as we've been in the Psalms, we are reading poetry, okay? And you don't read poetry the way you read an instruction manual. Poetry 
can talk about things in a general way. They, poetry can illustrate things. Poetry can, and some, and some, sometimes poetry can, as it were, overstate things because it's talking in figurative ways. So, just from the outset, as we start trying to figure out what does this psalm mean, what are we dealing with here? It's a psalm that's focused in on trusting God. But does the psalm give you license to pick up a copperhead and if you trust God enough, you're, you're not going to get bit and if you do, it's not going to bother you? Well, the answer is no. Now, I'm figuring you probably already knew that. But... Um, that would apply for some of the rest of these things, and we'll, we'll highlight those as we go through. Um, so poetry is not meant to walk on all fours. You're, you're meant to, to get the message out of what's being said. Hopefully we can highlight that tonight. So we said three sections here. The first section is verses 1 through 2, and, and the psalmist is just saying, God is my refuge. I've made Him my refuge. I'm dwelling with Him. So if you want to know something about trust and what it means to trust God, the opening line here is very, very helpful. He that dwelleth. He that dwelleth. We might think of, of John 15 where Jesus talks about abiding in the vine. Trusting God, and we're not going to go through the whole psalm with a microscope like this, but it's, it's helpful to note that trusting God is something that's done as you dwell with God. Dwelling means that it's your habitation. You go there and you remain there and you stay there. It's a fixed position. It's a regular um communion with the Lord. You see, the truth is there are, there is some substance to our faith and we're going to, we're going to see that, um, even in this first section. But the other reality is you will never prove any of this stuff if you're not committed enough to dwell with the Lord. You'll never be able to taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, if every time things get difficult, you pack up and go somewhere else. If every time things get scary, you look for another refuge. Psalm 91 will never be your psalm. It's he that dwelleth, remains there, in the secret place, the hidden place of the Most High. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him will I trust." Now, the psalmist really packs a lot into these two verses. We have four metaphors that correspond with four names, four different names for God. So the first one is this uh, person who is dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. Okay, the, the, the secret place there... Um, Talking about the hidden place, the concealed place. This is the place of protection. This is a place where, where, where the most high, that is the one true and living God. Think about the name there. And, and really it says it all. King of kings, Lord of lords. There is no one higher than him. There is no one, uh, whose authority outranks his. And the psalmist is saying the one who dwells, who is concealed in the most high. 
shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Adds another metaphor there, abiding under his shadow. Again, we're still hidden here, we're concealed, we're under his care. And it's the shadow of the Almighty, the omnipotent God, the all-powerful God. Well, we're faced with, or maybe I should say that the psalmist goes straight to right away, that if we're going to trust God, or what it means for us to trust God, means that we're trusting not necessarily, at least first and foremost, we're not trusting what we think God's going to do. We're trusting who God is. Okay, We're trusting who God is. Many times we kind of get the cart before the horse on that and we have a desired outcome for a situation and our prayer is that God would answer us in a specific way and there's nothing wrong with asking God to answer us in a specific way but the reality is the secret things belong to the Lord. He knows how to keep a secret. He may or may not do what you want Him to do but what the Psalms say is that the good news is while you may not know what He's going to do you do know who He is. While He may not give you the details of all of His plans, God has unfolded His heart for you in Scripture so that you know not only who He is in character, but you also know His heart for His people. So He says, the one who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, who, who abides under the shadow of the Almighty. This is speaking of someone who is seeking to draw close to the Lord, someone who's seeking to draw close through fellowship with the Lord, the one who is above all circumstances, the one who is above all difficulties, all people, all powers. It says in verse 2, I will say of the Lord, it's Yahweh, He is my refuge and my fortress. My refuge and my fortress. So the the God of covenant loyalty is my place of safety and He's my stronghold. Again, the point here that the psalmist is kind of teasing out in these first couple of verses is that if we are going to uh, run to God as a refuge, we have to run to God for who He is first and foremost and then trust that what he does is going to naturally flow from who he is and we can trust him to do what's right. I hope that makes sense. Because again, usually we get that all mixed up. We run to God because we want something. We're hoping he'll do something and and he may or he may not. That's That's up in the air as far as our ability to know. Brothers and sisters, we never have to guess who God's going to be when we go to Him. He's going to be the same God that He was for Abraham, for Isaac, for Jacob. He's going to be the same God that He's always been. The Most High. The One who does His will in the armies of heavens and among the inhabitants of the earth. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and He has invited His people to draw near. And as we draw near, we find a refuge, a safe place, a stronghold. We find that in the Lord. 
So he says, verse 2, I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him will I trust. In Him will I trust. So my God, again, that's Elohim, the powerful God, the Creator God. And we really get the uh, the point here of what's being said at the end of verse 2 that sets the tone for the rest of the psalm. It's in Him that I'm going to trust. I'm, I'm, I'm coming to Him. I'm coming to the one that I know about. I'm coming to the one that I not just do I know the different names of in the sense of I know facts about His character and who He is, but but I know Him in a relational way. I know Him in an experiential way. I know Him by way of fellowship And because of that, I'm going to trust in Him. I'm going to place my confidence in Him, my hopes in Him. He's where I will go. And so from the outset, we get a couple of things here that um, we must know if we're going to trust God with a Psalm 91 kind of trust anyway. Number one... We need to know something about God. Okay. We say this, uh, I don't know how often, but it's fairly regular whenever we come to this sort of a thing. This is why doctrine matters. This is why doctrine matters. Because God has taken the time to reveal to us realities about who He is. And He expects us to take the time to understand those realities so that we might be able to relate to him as he is, not as we wish he were. So we're going to do one or the other. And God is in the business of renewing our hearts and our minds. And one of the components of that is through the truth, the truth of who he is. And so secondly, God is not just giving us a book of facts, and we, we see that very clearly in the Psalms. I mean, it's, we, we do have books that are, uh, that are factual and a little more logical in progression. We're thankful for those, but the truth is not an end. It's a means to an end. Okay, so, so the, the scripture was never given to us so that we could collect and categorize truth and say, here we go, we got it. Scripture was given us so that we might collect and categorize truth so that we might know how to live before the God of glory. That we might know His promises. That we might know His character. That we might draw near to Him. And so Psalm 91, again, is helpful in that in that area. So we need to know something about God, but then whenever we know something about Him, then we are expected to move a little deeper there in knowing Him, that is an experiential way through prayer, through fellowship, um, through, um, uh, um, well, through knowing Him. And again, that's sometimes that can be kind of vague, but that can be anything from your uh, time of reading Scripture and praying that back to the Lord in the morning to you taking a prayer walk to you being in a, in a dire situation or just a difficult situation and crying out to God for help. And then you realizing at some point, the Lord heard my prayer and He answered it. And then we begin to collect those experiences. And as those experiences are collected and, and as 
we begin to become more and more aware of just how near the Lord is, then that trust begins to grow and grow and grow and grow so that it's almost, um, uh, that experience almost leads us to the place to where we're not expecting from the standpoint of we're entitled, we're expecting from the standpoint that He's faithful. And He's done this so many times, there's no way He'll leave me stranded. So Psalm 91 really does call us into that, um, into that kind of a walk, that kind of a trust with the Lord based on who He is and also based on our interaction. So He's a refuge. He's my refuge. One of the things, this is just to, to note, one of the things that we have noticed and will continue to notice in the Psalms is just how powerful a personal testimony can be. Just how invigorating, how encouraging, how comforting a personal testimony can be. You know, that's really what we're reading as we read these, at least to, as, to some extent. And so we shouldn't forget that. So this, the, God is my refuge. I will trust in Him. Uh, part 2, this is verses 3 through 13. Not only is He my refuge, the psalmist says, but He's a refuge for His people. You ever heard people say, you know, I want you praying for me. Maybe, maybe not to you, but maybe you've heard people say it to somebody else. I want you praying for me because I know God hears your prayers. You know, I'm not so sure that He hears mine, but I know He hears yours. You've heard somebody say that. Sometimes people are trying to be silly. Sometimes they're really serious. The truth is God hears all the prayers of all His people. Um, matter of fact, Jesus tells us that He hears the raven cry. Right? So, so there are no big I's and small U's in the kingdom. God loves His children. He hears the cries of His children. He cares for His children. And every single one of His children have been called and invited in to close, intimate fellowship with Him. And every one of His children have been given all that they need to live the life of faith as we lean on Him, as we walk with Him, and as we trust that He's walking with us. Um, sometimes we can, you know, the Lord gives different gifts to different people, but one of the things that He gives to all of His people is Himself. And we don't have to wonder about that. So verse 3, Surely, you'll notice the language changes here, Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. Which that word habitation there, we could just say refuge as well. Um, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. We shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion, the dragon, shalt thou trample under feet. 
So he's a, he's a refuge for his people. Now, in, in general terms, this is what the psalmist is communicating in this section. Number one, as far as God being a refuge for his people, out of verse three, he will deliver you. God is going to deliver you from your trials. He's going to deliver you from your difficulties. Now, the fact that that's even there means that you're going to face him at some point. All right, God can't deliver you from something that you never experience. Verse 3, Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. So the Lord in, in your life is going to deliver you. He's going to allow you to find yourself in some kind of pressure. And sometimes it's going to seem like it's more pressure than you can handle. The words that we have in the New Testament for trials and temptations, those are words that uh, the Psalms uh, have a word in Hebrew that's used that talks about a tight place. And all of those are expressing the same thing. And that's just outward pressure, circumstantial pressure, maybe even inward pressure. And it's not pressure on you physically, it's pressure on you inwardly. You're in, a, you're in some kind of a situation that you're trying to get out of and you don't know how you're going to get out of it. You're not exactly sure how this thing is going to be resolved. Maybe it's danger or maybe it's stress. It can be all kinds of different things. Psalm 91 says, He will deliver you. He will deliver you. Number two, out of verse four, He shall cover thee with His feathers and under His wings shalt thou trust. Not only will He deliver you, but He will protect you. Okay? The Lord is going to protect you. Now, we're talking, and, and in a minute we'll make these two distinctions, but He's going to protect you in a couple of different ways. Um, one, the Lord does providentially protect His people physically. Okay? Those things do happen. If we didn't believe that, we wouldn't be praying for the folks in Florida who are going to undergo the, the hurricane, right? There'd be no reason for us to do that. But we believe that there are times where God chooses to protect His people providentially from harm. But as this verse goes on, we find out there's another kind of protection. And more often than not, whenever we're thinking about trusting God to protect us, this is the kind of trust we're thinking about. At the end of verse 4, it says, His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. So the kind of protection that we're talking about, this covering, being under the, uh, being covered with the feathers or under the wings of the Almighty, it means that we are um, placing ourselves under the banner of God, under the truth of God. So it's His truth that's going to be your shield and your buckler. Now this is a, this is a uh, common, maybe frequent. I don't know. It's not. Doesn't happen a lot, but shield and buckler go together in the Psalms commonly. Okay, so shield, you already know what that is. You know, a shield is something that protects you from harm. A soldier would go into battle and they would have a shield so that when the enemy, um, used their weaponry, they could protect themselves. Okay, so a shield is something that would keep harm from being inflicted on your body. A buckler, the word there for buckler literally just means a surrounding. So the picture that's being painted here is that the truth will literally surround you and protect you from all sides. Isn't that a wonderful truth? The truth will, will surround you. It will protect you on every side. Um, 
Again, brothers and sisters, this is why doctrine is so important. Now, again, we find even here that it's not an end in and of itself. It's a it's a it's a means to an end. So we've said before uh, earlier that the truth of who God is is meant to uh, to stir us on and to uh, uh, help us to worship him, to fellowship with him, to interact with him. Now, in this particular scenario, as far as God being a refuge for his people, it's his truth that's guarding us. It's guarding us from error. It's guarding us from foolishness. It's guarding us from um, wrong thoughts about who God is and what God does. But it's also guarding us from just being fools and responding to our difficult situations where we want to be delivered, we want to be protected. God says, well, I will tell you how you can be protected. Um, you know, Isaiah 26.3 you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee, because he trusts in thee. It's the truth, the truth about who God is. But then, obviously, we could, we could expand that. The Proverbs kind of truth, the truth that gives wisdom. So the truth will surround you, will protect you from all sides. 5 through 13, they're going to take these two areas that we just talked about, God uh, protecting us, guarding us providentially, and then God guarding us, protecting us through His truth. And and they're going to give some poetic illustrations of that. So He's going to guard you. God is going to guard those who run to Him for refuge. Um, He's going to do it in a couple of ways. Verses 5 through 6. He's going to guard your heart through truth. Look, thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrows that flyeth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. Now notice what it doesn't say. Notice that it doesn't say you will not experience terror by night or the arrow that flies by the day or the pestilence that walketh in darkness or the destruction that wasteth at noonday. That's not what it says. It says, thou shalt not be afraid because of these things. The Lord is going to guard your heart. The Lord is going to strengthen you in the inner man. Doesn't mean that you're not going to be affected, but you're not going to be consumed with fear. You're not going to be paralyzed. Not if the truth is guarding your heart. Not if the truth is guarding your mind. Now, we could say, we could talk about this and, and um, um, apply this to all kinds of different areas. Um, typically, we don't experience fear. And I'm not talking about the kind of wise fear that says I'm going to avoid danger. I'm talking about the anxious kind of fear, the consuming kind of fear. Uh, we've got to be consumed with something before we can really be paralyzed by fear. Um, and the Lord says that if you will consume your heart and mind with me, I will protect you when these other things come along that you are tempted to be consumed by. I'm, I will fill that with something greater. And brothers and sisters, I you know we have to admit 
there's any awareness, if we have any awareness into our hearts, we have a tendency to get consumed with all kinds of things, don't we? We can get consumed with what's going on politically. We can get consumed with what's going on locally. We can get consumed with what's going on in our families. We can get consumed with what's going on with our friends. All kinds of things that can just consume us, wrap us up, put us in a tight place to where our world gets so small, the only thing we can think about is something that is immediately happening to us or around us. And the Lord says, I will protect you from that. I will guard you from that. But I'm going to guard you from that through truth. You thinking rightly about me and who I am in the midst of the circumstance. So, guarding your heart through truth. And then verses 7 through 13. Guarding your life through providence. A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy refuge, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash a foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder. The word adder there is really just cobra. Uh, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample underfoot. So these are different scenarios poetically strung together that are just communicating that God will bless those who look to Him, who turn to Him as refuge. Generally speaking, that's what this is talking about. Kind of like children obey your parents, that it may go well with you and you live long in the land. You know, that's, that's generally speaking, it's a blessed life. It's not a life that's trouble-free, but if we are walking with the Lord, and if we're since we're on this side of the cross and on the opposite side that the psalmist was on, if we are in Christ, then we've been given every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And so when God when when Romans eight says, if I be if, if God is for you, who can be against you? Think about what's being said here. So you've got God's providence working in your favor. Right? You've got um You've got God's provisions being lavished on you. You've got the Holy Spirit interceding for you. You've got Jesus Christ interceding for you. This phrase here of, of, of the Lord giving His angels charge over thee, that's in, in, in some providential way, God looking over you, protecting you, caring for you in a spiritual sense that produces really physical realities. So, so you have God guarding you as the apple of His eye. And you know you know this already because this is a psalm about trust. You know, one of the ways that God guards us and one of the, way that God, one of the ways that God providentially blesses us is by allowing us to go through some of these difficult times, isn't it? This is not a, like we said... This is not a blank check for the Christian that says, don't worry about it. Life's going to be great. You'll never have any troubles. And if you do have troubles, it's because you must not be as faithful as you should have been. It's not it. It's not a God who takes you out of the troubles. It's a God who inserts himself in the troubles with you and 
turns what would have been a curse into a blessing in your life. Uses it for your good, for His glory. Now we're going to see that as we look at the promise, which is starting in verse 14. So we said verses 1 and 2, my refuge, God is my refuge. Verse 3 through 13, He's a refuge for His people. And then verses 14 through 16, He is a promise-keeping God. So this is... This is um, Changing as far as the speaker here. When we get into verse 14, this is no longer the psalmist speaking as far as the way we're supposed to read it. This is God speaking. Uh, Because he hath set his love upon me. There are some translations that have added, because he has set his love upon me, saith the Lord, therefore will I deliver him, just to keep it straight in our heads. So, because he hath set his love upon me, therefore... Will I deliver him? I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. So, so this is just a, just a reminder that God will, the Lord will bless and deliver those who love him. Now we could go and we could really put all this together uh, in the New Testament theologically. We already know that we love Him because He first loved us and He's drawn us, brought us into relationship with Himself. But here's the here's really the focus of this last section. Uh, if we've come to know the Lord, then verses 15 and 16 tell us that when those who know the Lord, when those who love the Lord call upon the Lord, then He'll do several things. Number one, He answers us. He answers us. When you cry out to God, God answers your prayer. And He answers it in the best possible way that it could be answered. So that He may not give you your request, He'll give you better than what your request was. And if God is your refuge and you're trusting Him for who He is, not what you want Him to be, then when we're crying out to Him, it is a comfort to know that He's giving us the best possible answer we could receive. He answers. Okay. Number two, we cry out to the Lord. He will be a companion in times of trouble. He will be a companion in times of trouble. We see that in the second part of verse 15. I will be with the one who calls on me. I will be with him in trouble. Again, one of those uh, reasons we talk about the the previous section in Psalm 91 being poetic as if nothing bad's going to happen. That's not what the psalmist is talking about because as he's wrapping things up, he's letting us know that you're not going to avoid trouble, but you will never walk through trouble all by yourself. As you call upon the Lord, He will draw near to you as you draw near to Him in your times of trouble. Third, he says, I will deliver him and honor him. The Lord honors or he will bless his people as we call upon him. He will honor our prayer. He will hear, he will answer, he will bless. And then lastly in verse 16, with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. When God's people call upon him, 
He not only hears, He not only answers, He not only walks with us, but He satisfies us with His salvation. That may mean that we need to be weaned off of something that we thought we needed. That may mean one of a thousand things. But the end result of God's people calling upon Him for help in our times of trouble is that He will teach us and make us to be satisfied with Him, to be satisfied with His salvation, to see it for what it is, and to see it in ways that maybe we've never seen it before, to value it in ways that we've never valued it before. There are times where we can kind of get disgusted with ourselves and we realize, man, I do not... I do not value what I have in Christ the way that I wish I would. And we pray that the Lord would bless us to value it more. And He knows how to do that. And typically, we value it more when we realize that we need Him more than life itself. So Psalm 91 is a psalm that pushes us into that and and it doesn't Uh, give us some sort of hopes that trials will be avoided. It gives us hopes that the more we go through, the more trouble we go through, the more of Him that we'll know and receive and enjoy and be satisfied in. So Psalm 91, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. May God bless that to be true of me and of you. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You're a God who can be trusted. You're a God who has revealed Yourself to Your people, not only by bringing us from death to life through the power of the Holy Spirit, but also by revealing Yourself through Scripture. And so, Lord, I pray that You would bless us to run to You, to dwell in You as our refuge. Lord, would You teach us what that means? Would You give us patience? Would You give us endurance? Father, would you bless us to, uh, to walk with you one day at a time, one step at a time, and to be satisfied with you for who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.